everyone. It's time once again for Catalog and Cocktails. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I'm Tim Gasper. This is Juan Zakeda, my co-host. We're in Austin, Juan. How are you doing, Tim? We're doing well. And this is so cool that we are finally live in person with our guests because we don't always are live with our guests. Uh, I think last time was in Big Data London with Chris Tao. Yes. So we're in Austin right now. What's going on in Austin is that there's a Data Day Texas and one of the speakers and who's our guest today is Shanta Tuli, who's the director of Data Upsolver. How are you doing? Hi, thanks for having me, everyone. I am super excited we finally get to do this, and it's so cool to get to do this in person. Like, I mean, it's, it's yeah. Thursday, 8.30 p.m. We usually do this Wednesday, middle of the week. Uh, it's actually proper drinking hour. Yeah. Uh, Which we don't have a cocktail today because, and also we're, whoever is watching us or, or looking at watching the video here, uh, we're in my... Uh, in the bar that I have in my house, so which has a lot of beer and wine, but uh, yeah. bar one. That's a really good setup. <laughs> anyway, so tell and toast. So, what are we drinking and what are we toasting for? Want to kick us off? Yeah, I'm toasting to everyone being here for for this conference. It's a great opportunity to run into everyone at least like once a year, because um, all the other conferences are a little bit like. Different people are at different ones, especially when two happen on the same day. <laughs> like there's the <laughs> one group going there and the other group going there. But this is, I feel pretty, you know, the folks that I really like in data and enjoy spending time with are usually at this one. So toast to that. No, that's awesome. I'll, I'll cheers to that as well. It's always fun when everybody gets together for day to day. Exactly. Cheers. Yeah. And cheers. cheers to the organizers. Uh, thanks, Lynn, for always organizing such an awesome conference. So cheers. Hmm. So we got our... Oral question. So what is your favorite productivity hack? <clears throat> my <laughs> my favorite productivity hack is probably walking my dog. Hmm. It just, you know, clears my head, gets me up and moving. And it's it's not just like, oh, I'm stuck. I'm going to go walk my dog. It's like she makes me, <laughs> makes me get up and go, which means like the, the time that I do have, I'm, like at the computer, I'm like going, you know, going at it and then you know, I'll, I'll go and think about things and like go at it in my head and also like watch her chase squirrels um, and then come back and, you know, it's 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 refreshing. That's funny. I, I don't have a dog, um, and, but I try to go on walks whenever I can. And now I'm thinking, man, maybe I got to get a dog. It, make, it makes it so you have to go out there regularly and clear your mind and think about things. Yeah, right? it's like a Fitbit, but better. <laughs> you can't ignore it. Well, I was going to say something, well, technical, something with GPT or, 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 or some, uh, I mean, Productivity tools, apps they have, but now that you say that, I'm gonna say, um, I get my best ideas in the shower, like organize my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one. So uh, I don't know, like it's not that I'm, oh, I'm confused or whatever. Let me go get into the shower and go do that. <laughs> Even, uh, that would be, I think that would be weird, but I can see now that I'm saying this out loud, I think I could do that. I'm gonna try that. Out. <laughs> How about you, Tim? <laughs> This is a hard question. Um, All right, you do something technical. What's your technical? All right, I'll, I'll do something a little more technical. Um, for me, it's going to be um, I add everything to my to-do list, like just mm. everything. And that's just like my way of being a lot more clear and, my, and and present when I'm having conversations and interacting with people because I never have to worry about like, oh, I got to remember that thing. Or anything. Yeah, it's all here. What is that? This, as long as I don't forget is, my there, phone. There's, there, there's, an approach, there's a whole methodology for it, right? The, the, oh, yeah. Uh, 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 getting, getting things in getting, GTD, right? Yeah, getting, yeah, yeah, say getting, getting shit done. done right? Yeah, that one, right? <laughs> Just put everything on it and then you start organizing. Yeah, it. exactly. So, Do you ever like you get blocked by something and then that prevents you from going down the list? 
Sometimes, sometimes, but uh, I've been doing like to-do lists that kind of stuff for so long now that like it's almost second nature. And so I'm constantly like, people are always like, what are you doing on your phone? You're like on social media or something like that. I'm like, no, I'm rearranging my to-do list. I'm just <laughs> moving things up and down because I'm going to change the order of what I'm doing. <laughs> so. All right, well, let's let's kick it off. Uh, honest, no BS. Uh, you wrote on a, on a LinkedIn post previously is productivity is not performance. So honest, no BS, what do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, this it's really the distinction between output versus outcome. Um, so you can do a lot without doing a lot, right? If what you're doing isn't building up towards, um, you know, some uh, some bigger purpose, something that is well defined and well understood, and like the value is clear. So an example of this would be building out a very um, detailed, intricate, intricate engineering infrastructure for you know something like uh, answering a simple question like a, a simple bi question mm -hmm. like maybe you know depending on the phase of the business and and the data practice and so on and so forth you might want to pause and take a single question and sort of think if can i make it a process like mm -hmm. is there a version of this that's better as a process and productize and stuff and it's good to put that thought into it but Definitely don't jump into, oh, I have this question and so I have to like really build this out and it's going to be six months and then, you know, the answer was just, you know, 42. So, <laughs> so th thinking about this, um, I'm, I'm curious in your experience because you have a very, very interesting background because we both have academic backgrounds and we get into this whole data space. Uh, how are you seeing like the different roles, the data roles coming in and, and how are all these roles, being, there, there are definitions of being, are you being productive enough? How are you seeing this right now? Yeah, I think data has always been a tough field to like define roles and there have always been so many different roles. Um, by the way, I'm making eye contact with a friend uh, that I brought along who, you know, you, you won't you won't recognize. <laughs> Maybe he'll come <laughs> say hi at some point. There's <laughs> a secret live audience. <laughs> there is a secret live audience. Um, <laughs> what was I saying? <laughs> roles. Roles. Oh, data roles. roles. Yes. Um, I had to think about that for a second yeah. too. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, productivity is going to look different. Uh, and like performance or actually producing value is going to look different for different roles as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I've posted in the past or shared my thoughts in the past around like the distinctions between if you're doing data, data or ML work, uh, because that's the core of the business, like, you know, like a Netflix or an Amazon where like the business is really centered around building some sort of predictive model um, and so on and so forth. Or if you're doing uh, descriptive analytics for a company that is otherwise um, you know, the business is somewhere else, but you still want to have an understanding of the business. So the analytics function and and the, it's important to have these distinctions, partly because not all skills are transferable. And I mean, this is not to say like it's not to you know gatekeep or, or draw, draw boundaries. I, mm -hmm. I think that some, and any given individual can do both of those things and should and, and should learn. But it definitely helps to um, to have these. Uh, at least some understanding of what the purpose of the role is beyond what the title of the role is, right? So I think people, one one thing that I that kind of bothers me, I think people often think of data analyst as someone who's like flutzing around and I don't know, in Excel, like doesn't really, isn't technical, but is like answering this mm. data question Then it doesn't, like I can't really get behind that definition mm. of, of a data analyst. Like you're, 
And so I, I kind of like the word, uh, the, the title analytics engineer, because that tells me a lot more about what kind of work you're doing. Like an ML engineer, you're doing ML. Analytics engineer, you're working for the purpose of analytics. But I don't really know what a data analyst is, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. It, well, and, and just to back up a little bit, I, I think when you, when you mentioned about like this distinction between roles that are at like data or machine learning companies where it's their core, right? Or maybe their core services depend on really critical pieces that they're doing there versus um, a company where their core business is somewhere else and analytics is kind of in service of that. Maybe it's descriptive analytics, maybe it's other things. Do you actually think that um, that the roles themselves are a little bit different between these organizations? Yeah. Because one, one of the things I think that's kind of interesting is, you know, you look at sort of the history of innovation and a lot of times these very like, data as their core businesses build out, you know, new cutting edge infrastructure, or they come up with new machine learning techniques. I just think about like, you know, the big data movement and Netflix and Yahoo and all these organizations really pushing the envelope of big data. And then all companies are like, oh, we want to get into that too. Right. So, you know, you know, should we be thinking differently about the distinction between these two different kinds of businesses? Um, Maybe. So, I mean, there's a couple of different factors. One is having those problems to solve, right? When you're at a, at a certain scale, you have a unique set of problems to solve. And the other thing is having the resources to solve those problems. So again, if you're a big company, you're going to have those resources. But I mean, you never know where innovation comes from, right? So um, yes, a lot of the times, like the technological adv advancements that we've had, although the recent, like, I think the, you know, generative AI is like half, half academic, half uh, half industry, I would say, but sorry, that's an aside. <laughs> um, a lot of the times, uh, these advancements do come out of these bigger companies, but it's not, uh, it's not always the case, right? And like, you really don't know where technology is going to come out of. Like, um, the touchscreen came out of CERN, mm -hmm. right? Which is like totally like that's not why. Um, like, no one was developing the touchscreen there. It's just you know just how it worked out. So. Yeah. Um, now, the the web came out of CERN. Yeah. <laughs> you never know where all this uh, innovation is. So you never happen. know necessarily where the innovation is going to come from. And, and maybe in some cases it's coming from these data first companies. Maybe in some cases it's coming from other industries. But Yeah. And sometimes it's mm -hmm. coming from like tooling companies, right? Like, so not everyone can be, build, um, you know, XYZ tool Um within within their company so if these little vendor or the, if these like smaller companies that still need some version of that solved and so there's a market need and there does a you know tooling company come comes and so, so who brand. who innovates and or and, and the other question is who should be innovating okay. so if like you're if you're in a because if you're in a smaller company right i, mean, I would argue that everybody should be innovating mm -hmm. i'd argue that yeah but then like how do you measure the productivity? Like, oh, you're doing this work, but I'm not seeing the immediate value right now. But you're like, oh, hold on, hold on. Like, give me more time. But there's still unknowns in here. And if we do have a break, if we have a breakthrough, this is going to be huge, right? But sometimes it's it's a risk if it takes. So who who can take those those types of uh, risks to do innovations? That's a very good question. Um, you certainly... Uh, there has to be room for that innovation. <laughs> hey, cheers. cheers. <laughs> hey, you just popped in here. Look at that. All right. Welcome. Welcome, well, welcome to my show, Joe. Anytime. <laughs> Glad to crash it. It's I didn't mean to be a party. Oh, all good. So you're talking about innovation and who should do yeah. it? Like, what, do you, what do you think? I think that, like, 
as individuals, you like, I think, I think that's where innovation comes from, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's, it's collaboration. It's sort of like working, uh, working across boundaries, but I don't want to say just because you work at like a smaller company that's really focused on solving a specific problem that you can't innovate the next technology. I think it certainly could happen if, and if that's what you really want to do, you can also, you know, uh, partner up with academic institutions or, or these bigger companies. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think there should be boundaries around who should be innovating. The only thing that I think matters with innovation, and this is a lot like research, is like you have to have, you have to know where you're at. So a lot of reading and keeping yourself abreast of where we are today, because that's how you make that the poke outside of that. Mm -hmm. I thought, think? I've been thinking a lot about this in the context of what was that um, section, there was some law 174 or something like that, that Congress had passed about taxes back in 2017, like the tax cut bill. But um, what it means is now R&D expenses have to be amortized yeah. and not expensed. And so I wonder what this is going to do to uh, innovation. companies. Yeah, right. So this is, this is the topic we were talking about a while ago. Right. Because mm -hmm. like before, you know, you could expense, you know, uh, your R and D against your your. Uh, I mean, this could go by your 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 developers building software and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So issues. it kind of screws you over on that one, yeah. and then I'm like, okay, why? so like, why? Yeah. That's well, right. so what? What? So it's just, it's an accounting thing. So now instead of expensing that um, payroll expense in one lump against your revenue, now you you have to you can only do I think what is it twenty percent per year or something like that, yeah, whatever so, number it is. It's so like, let's say that you are cash flow neutral. Right. Yeah. Well, I made zero money, so I paid no. I don't pay no pay no taxes. But because your expenses were your payroll, and like, well, no, you can't now put all your payroll as your expenses. You can only put twenty percent of it. So it's uh, like, oh, so technically I have well, I have more money, so I have to go pay taxes on that. But like, I made no money. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I wonder if it's going to do innovation, especially for, uh, for yeah, for boot. But people want to do bootstrap and want to. I mean, innovate in a different way. They don't want to have uh, yeah take a lot of capital and stuff. Oh yeah, I mean that, that can kneecap a lot of stuff. So I think you know the the, the promise of a lot of um, government investment into small businesses is maybe they'll do something interesting, right? I mean, I was at a conference last night where you know the, uh, in Utah where they're celebrating all the people involved in tech and AI, and I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, it's good to see everybody here, and I wonder who's going to be able to innovate under like these kind of constraints because you know it's just that's business crazy. is business. So I mean, that's an exciting, something out of left field, right? I mean, it's just a consideration. But I think absent of that, sure, like innovation is one of those things that hopefully people are doing. But it depends on the type of business you're in and what the appetite for risk is. Because right. if you're small, the appetite for risk is on one hand, it should you should be taking risky things because that's mm -hmm. what's going to make you great. On the other hand. You know, you don't have a lot of runway. So you could, <laughs> you're going, you're going. You, you could argue that like smaller companies are doing their innovation anyway, like in within what they're trying to bring to market, right? Like, yeah. You know, unlike Google's moonshot or something, this is I'm literally putting you know everything at stake if I'm a. No, well, I mean, I, I guess at that point, like as a startup, your definition is yeah. innovation <laughs> yeah, because you're exactly. doing something nobody has done before. Exactly. But if you think about like the the role, I mean, the function of data in in an organization. So, what is the what is the function of data? And I think and this is a, a topic we've had in so many. Is this so one of those different. like those Bob questions on Office Space? Like, what do you do here? <laughs> well, I mean, so <laughs> many people you say like, oh, if 
think about like 10 years ago, right? Like, oh, data science and data is the new oil. It's like, oh, we're 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 doing, there, there are things that we're not doing with data that we should, so we should be innovating because that could generate like, so one could argue that a lot of innovation in companies should be coming from data teams. But then at the same time, it's like, well, you don't understand the business, you don't do this thing. So it's like, you see this disconnect, uh, I don't know. This is what's well, so there's kind of a blurry line, I think, for data organizations in terms of like, uh, you know, what, what you brought up at the beginning in terms of like output versus uh, outcomes. Uh, like is working on innovation in a data organization, especially if you're not a data for like a data core company, like is, is innovation a worthwhile place for people to be spending time on a data team? Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> versus just crank out more BI reports, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look at successful businesses, right? I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she was hanging out with a bunch of wealthy CEOs of companies, and one of them owned a beer distribution company. And he has a, uh, or she showed me, actually showed me pictures of all these yachts, beer distribution company guy, hot dog stand owner guy who has like the largest hot dog stand company in the US, right? And it's like, you know, and you look at companies like Chick fil A, you know, I, I went there a few months ago and chicken sandwiches that I'd say from a technology standpoint they're doing really innovative stuff like oh crazy a couple stuff. like chick-fil-a like i know that they they own their real estate like they they so they have an entire real estate arm and all the data that people do for real estate because want to know oh, yeah. exactly where exactly do i need to go put this place to go right and then they have drones and they figure all this shit out like oh yeah i mean that's innovative yeah right yeah. they're using data as a, as to make those kinds of decisions so i would say like businesses if you can do it that way and just succeed to improve your business, I mean, that's the same as it ever was, I guess. But to do yeah. data for its own sake, I would say it's a bit weird because that's kind of like, um, yeah. is that is that really going to get you like the benefit? Because you got kind of know what you're doing too, right? Yeah. So I don't know. But as you say, like outcomes and out outputs, and uh, is that what you said? Yeah. Like so yeah. <laughs> like, like just, well, what you really mean to say is man's <laughs> it to you. Like, so. so innovation can be outcome focused. And there's yeah. a lot of companies that are like like Chick-fil-A that are doing very interesting things around data that's innovative, even though they might not be considered a, right. a company that's data at its core. Right. Innovation can be a byproduct easily of mm -hmm. outcome driven work. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's one example. That's that's how like things come out of places that you don't expect. And that's how, that's what I'd say. And then um, the other uh, other, I guess. I would hope that even under uh, constraints of like, you know, limited runways and stuff, I would yeah. hope that like part of enjoying your job is having some sort of creative freedom. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't think anyone really would be happy if you're like, you have to check these three boxes and this is what you have to do. Every but that's a lot of people's jobs. I mean, it sucks, but yeah. that's really, yeah. I, mean, I think we like, all have jobs we, like that, right? right? Yeah. Compliant it's stuff. Like, just move that pile of bo uh, boxes over there. <laughs> now move them back yeah. to the same spot. And I might do that all day. Um, and count them while you're at it. <laughs> and count them each time. You know? <laughs> but that's literally, I mean, it, we joke, but that's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of people's jobs. You know? and it's yeah. just, I mean, well, a lot of people in the data space too. I, th I feel like are, or maybe feel like they're they're caught in a job. Maybe a lot of them have the title data analyst, uh, <laughs> and uh, and they don't feel like they're getting to do very yeah. exciting stuff. Maybe they don't even feel like they're working on the stuff that's gonna have the biggest outcome. Exactly. Yeah. And like everyone's aspiring to be a data scientist, but you know the lines are so blurry anyway. Mm -hmm. yeah. So this is interesting. So, so is this 
people are like driven. They want to do something different, fun, innovative, but they're like, uh, I'm just moving bucks from here to here. Right. And I'm like, well, there's this new cool technology that comes out. So I'm going to go test and play because I feel that by testing and playing with that stuff, I am being innovative. But I mean, maybe you are, if you are, doing things that are outcome driven. But if you're like, I'm just got to move my boxes here and there. And then yeah. like, are you really like, you're just maybe just wasting your yeah, like time. I, I, money. I got like a pallet lift or a, like a, a forklift, like that's innovation, right? I mean, think about real innovation. Like who, whoever invented the shovel, I think Morgan Housewell was writing about that in his new book, same as ever, but like, that's a genius thing. I mean, people were digging stuff for years, like by hand or yeah. rocks. And then a shovel comes along like, that's pretty amazing. Like that, you know, but I mean, put, you know, you got to consider who was the first person that thought of doing that. That person was probably considered to be an idiot. Like, why are you wasting your time? I can keep digging holes. What are you doing? I mean, always that same picture character, like the, the, the wheel or right? we got a gun or whatever. Like, yeah. so just, I think this innovation is one of those things where innovation is a weird thing, too, because it happens kind of out of left field. Like, because it's all these confluence of different ideas and, and uh, experiences that come together for something new, and, you know. There, there's another thing I find interesting um, as far as innovation goes is there have been so many times in history that like this essentially the same idea was developed in completely uh, separate mm -hmm. locations. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting, especially like if you look at the history of physics and, and math, it's like there's something natural about the progression of innovation that like it's an unstoppable force and based on where what the what we know today we are going to get us to the next step and mm -hmm. you know there are different places where it can pop up i, I think that's really cool and then the, the other thing that's my big pet peeve is like when we are really not when we think we're innovating, but we're not because we don't read the you don't oh. know our history yeah. and we don't build on the shoulders of so giants. Tell us, tell us, give us some examples of this when you, when you talk about this. I find this is interesting. The the, the, uh, the false positives of, of being innovative. Like what what does that look like? I mean, I I, I just think that that like if, if we look at the data space, I think just by not understanding a lot of the the, the, the core, the, the foundational principles, then we start thinking about all this stuff as like, oh, this is a brand new thing. We get excited about it. We spend, I mean, you've talked about this too, right? Like the the dead 10 years or whatever, like the the, the, the dead decade that we didn't advance anything because yeah, because we, we were just doing the same thing, just a, a different city. Look, a database, a data where they like, it's all the same shit. It's just, <laughs> there. obviously there's differences in there, but conceptually the principles are the same. And then we just focus on the specific details and make those, those details are different. But when we zoom out, the problem is still the freaking same problem we haven't solved. I mean, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, the talk I'm going to give this this weekend, it's like, just sneak peek, like I'm going to, I'm going to just a screenshot of a, of a problem description, which I swear that everybody's going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I just copied and pasted that from a paper from 30 freaking years ago. <laughs> what the fuck have we been doing for the last 30 years? Evidently not solving that problem, right? <laughs> but we all say we have that problem, right? I can't find my data. I know this customer is, I don't know this customer is the same customer as this. It's like, one, one thing is yeah. when there is a need, uh, like that kind of surfaces everywhere, then like you've often have multiple people who are jumping on that idea of solving for that need. And somewhere down the line, they kind of forget to, I guess they forget to iterate and, you know, come back and see um, if that need still exists or if it's evolved mm -hmm. or if they need to, you know, refine their idea or not. So, I mean, I think that's how we end up with, you know, 101 BI tools, none of which are good. Right. Yeah. I mean, that was one thought that came to my mind is like, <laughs> how, how, how many, how many ways? <laughs>
of, uh, of BI to successful, but like think of how many BI companies have been started. Right, and successful right? is not the same as being good. <laughs> yeah, true, very true. Um, yeah, and, and you know, connected to this is it's it's interesting to see where a real novel innovation is going to happen, uh, where you're really actually making progress. And um, you know, like for example, I think something that is a, an example of this maybe is like you've got lots of database companies, right? Lots of companies that are in the data warehouse space and things like that. And they're like, oh, my things, a my, my indexer is a little bit faster and things like that, right? But then, you know, and, it, and it's not, you know, another company could have figured this out, but then you have a company like Snowflake, right? Comes in and says, oh, I'm gonna take advantage of the fact that I can separate storage and compute, and I'm gonna create a novel approach to sort of the cost economics of, of managing on-demand data warehousing. It's like, oh, well, that was an interesting trick that they did there, right? And it didn't have to be Snowflake. It could have been somebody else. But it's interesting to see when these well, like these switches get flicked where now we're maybe maybe we are actually making some progress. I mean, do you remember when Snowflake came on the scene, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you first started meeting with them? And you're like, I think the other innovative thing they did is they just sort of understood how to talk to the customer in a really simple way. Mm -hmm. Like, like this is um, like you've tried this product here. You tried this product here, right? It solves a lot of those pain points. Um, like I remember meeting with the salespeople, but is it 2016 ish? Right, you were going to say 20 years ago. 20 years ago, <laughs> you know, possibly. Um, but, but no, I mean, I, I instantly re recognize, okay, they, they get it. They know how to talk to customers. They understand the enterprise. They understand the pain points. They understand. So, I mean, it was a much, I think, a technological innovation as it was a, um, a, uh, sales and marketing innovation too, where they That's just true. sort of knew exactly how to talk to the customers and solve their pain point right yeah. and then the, the, the sign up process is super easy too it's like i don't know you have a credit card yes <laughs> that's cool so after two weeks you're trying this out you can put that credit card in and then you can pay well i think it goes credits. back to like the the, the, <laughs> the outcome versus output yeah right? and i think it's like you have a very clear like this is what you're trying to achieve yeah, like yeah. this is the value of trying to go achieve that you know, this is what we're focused on so that's the outcome perspective i think yeah. And I agree, like the case is like, it's also marketing and sales, but what is that? That's just communication, it right? Is. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes back to like a lot of the issues that we see today is like, well, we're not able to communicate what am I doing and why is it important? And, and then when you are communicating, you're communicating the output. Oh, I did this. I generated so many dashboards and I generated so many pipelines and then yeah. all these DBT models we did. And like, so, oh, look at all this stuff that I have. I'm like, what was the output? What yeah, was the outcome? Exactly. That is my that is my probably my current biggest pet peeve. Like I'll hear sentences like, I have sixteen hundred DAGs running in production. <laughs> like, why do you need sixteen hundred? You're a BI team. <laughs> right. You know, like well, that's so. crazy because that's like sixteen hundred points of technical debt that you just incurred. Right. <laughs> why are you proud of that? <laughs> yeah, it's like if I had like, yeah, uh, I like kids, but if, if you replace like the word "dags" with "children," <laughs> like, would you be as impressed at yourself? Like, I have sixteen hundred kids. Like, slow down. Um, is that is that the the data engineering litmus test? That's data, that's, you're like the Will Chamberlain of uh, data engineers at that point. Yeah. So replace it with children, and how do you feel? Yeah, litmus. Uh, yep. Actually, that's a good one. I like that. Um, yeah, uh, or something you know like that. Uh, Things that are hard to take care of. Yeah, quite a lot of thought. Uh, uh, not getting PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just. This is a great another another. In our notes, where we bold anything that is uh, t-shirt worthy, and that's a good one. <laughs> I, I always come up with a 
random crap are you guys um, <laughs> hey the more the more pithy and weird sayings we can produce the better that's 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 the outcome that we're driving here uh, <laughs> yeah, when, when, you, when you mentioned about uh uh you know a number of dags and things like that um we're dads uh, dads, <laughs> dads dads hopefully not thousands of dads uh, <laughs> i don't know which one um is i remember when um DBT um, came out with their blog post where they first revealed how many DBT models that they had. And it was like 1,200 or something like that, some, some ridiculously high number. Uh, and, and I remember that it was like a, kind of a weird inflection point for folks uh, along this whole like output versus outcomes kind of question of like, oh, wow, that's so impressive. And then it was like, Oh wait, is that impressive? Is that bad? Maybe that's bad. I don't know. About what year was that? I think it was like maybe three years ago. No, two probably years ago? less. Less yeah. than that, maybe. Okay. I, it was, I know it was after they already changed their name to DBT Labs, so it must have been like maybe a year and a half or two years ago. But yeah, yeah. That's, I, I thought that was an interesting moment in like thinking about like as analytics engineers, are we? Are we being are we right. being productive? Are we are good we at measuring? Impactful? Yeah, we're, we're are we good at building metrics that the metrics that we've built for ourselves? What, are so our da are DAGs and models like the new lines of code? And apparently, more is Maybe. more is. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, and but, it could but, be an impressive vanity metric to say like I've created. Right. But, exactly. but, but, people, but again, but people have been doing yeah. this for so long, right? They create their ETL pipelines and the Informatica stuff, and they have all this shit that goes on, and then they have their own code, and yeah. they have and the and, and, and it's it, it's not an ETL tool, but they did it in the stored procedures, right? They did all this stuff, right? So that we've been doing this over and over. Oh again, yeah, right? so I mean, I don't know if you remember, yeah, stored procedures. That's a hellscape in itself. Um, I mean, lots of probably impressive outcomes and outputs, but. They're highly invisible, typically. You look in a database, it's like, I don't know what's happening there. Yeah. Like, oh, that's happening there. Yeah, I remember once working with, a, <laughs> working with a customer, we're like, okay, so this store procedure. So what does this store procedure do? And we, I'm like, well, it's all these lines of code in it. And we're well, let's look at the comments. And obviously the comments started 20 years ago, <laughs> right? So you have 20 years of comments. Oh, dear. And then they said, well, who should we ask? Who's the responsible person? Well, the last person who wrote the comment they went in there and then like like this was a couple like a year ago or whatever and like uh oh yeah that guy person died from covid i'm like oh, yeah. see, this is the stuff that you have to go through yeah right um and this is not new anymore you know what and now it goes back to my like oh we're innovating with new modern things like we're just replicating that same type of debt in this other new modern tool whatever you want to go do that but so this is why the print like this is why we need to focus on the principles how do we focus on the principles in terms of producing better outcomes so question here is then what it like the architectures that we have today is something one thing I want to talk about like what are the current architectures I mean yeah what are the standard types approaches principles of the architectures that we have today and what do we need to innovate on that to make things simpler better and or whatever to be able to drive better faster outcomes architectures in terms of I mean, we're not specifically in, 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 in our data world right here. I mean, you know, the, obviously the old trope, which we'll be talking about at Data Day Texas, and it's going to be funny because there's two opposing viewpoints on this. Um, one is uh, business value should matter in this equation for outcomes. And the other is business value is the last thing you should be thinking about, um, which I think is uh, you'll find out who's going to talk about what at Data Day Texas. <laughs> <laughs> we'll not spoil the surprise for you. Um, 
but that's one litmus test perhaps to think about it. I don't know, but I don't think it's the only one. I can think of many. Um, um, You're on the spot right now. You're just kind of like, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, all right. I'm really trying to, trying to parse it and trying to figure out what angle to come at it, come at it from. So, I mean, what comes to mind because this has been top of mind for me is is the, like the table, open table format. That's that's you know like yeah. this this technology that's uh, coming. Out. I mean, it's not exactly new, but it's sort of catching on more now. Mm -hmm. um, and it comes to mind because I've been try and organize this uh chill data summit by the way shout out chill data summit new york city february 6th um <laughs> but it, it is we'll like, be there we'll be there by the way yeah joe's yeah. gonna be there i don't know juan hasn't hasn't said anything yet i don't even know where i'm gonna be so i don't even know where my calendar is um but yeah i mean like that that's a piece of innovation i think that's uh come out of a necessity which is where you know sometimes some of it we just we talked earlier about how innovation comes from uh, weird places. Sometimes. Sorry, I did a beer <laughs> burp. Um, so, uh, oh, this is why, why you don't. Know right. Outcomes now. This is one of the benefits of being uh, on Zoom virtual. Uh, yeah, I won't be invited back in person. Sorry, guys. Um, Please get back. More she's on too. She's like. I can't even talk right now. I, I just have to go uh, leave. This is a test, by the way, to see yeah. how, how you how react. Yeah. 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 Yes. Can, can you talk uh, a little yeah. bit about what OpenTable is? Yeah, sure. So, um, okay, uh, let me let me try to do the short version. I was just making slides for this, but um, so we've got databases and data warehouse, and as you said, like we're you know we've been sort of toying around with um, how to make them more efficient or, you know, whatever requirement mm -hmm. comes up addressing them. And then we had the data lake uh, that kind of came out of like, okay, not like you don't need this sort of structured interface to interact with your data um, that a data warehouse produces for every use case. So like if you have a use case that um, you're serving a machine learning model, you're, you just need to store, let's say an NLP model, you're just, you just need to store the vectorized, you know, uh, documents or whatever. So mm -hmm. like a different set of requirements. And then, so you've got this uh, data lake that's closer to, um, just like files and storage. So that's a data format, like Parquet is a data format, mm -hmm. right? So serialized files and storage. And then on top of that, you have some sort of um, like Hive metadata catalog or something, mm -hmm. uh, which is why I was asking you that uh, question earlier. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then, so that works, um, but it is pretty low level because you're, you know, you're, you're really going down to, okay, you have the data level and then you have a catalog that doesn't have any real power to influence how the data are arranged it just kind of knows where things are so mm -hmm. when you're running a query you still have to do a lot of thinking about okay how do i access this piece of information because a piece of information can be spread across multiple different files and multiple different like parts of, of a file right mm -hmm. so like that sort of query planning and, and logic is um it's just like it takes more work the lower level you get typically right is the more engineering intensive it is mm -hmm. so um that I, I feel has been the main, like the biggest issue with data lakes. And that's that's often why like we've ended up with swamps instead of like well-maintained lake, lakes and stuff. So I think we're now what we're, we're entering a, a new era sort of um, where an open a table format, open or not, as opposed to a data format is um, a specification, just like, you know, Parquet is a specification for how data should be serialized and stored in these files. The table format is a specification of how how the files and information need to be organized and how you have 
like how you contain that information so that you can trace along, you know, a path to get to the information uh, you want. Mm. So, you know, read up on it. I'm not like this is a two second description. So Mm -hmm. just let me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've got this layer on top of the data, basically, that's like in between the data and the catalog mm-hmm. that is smarter about how the data is organized and how you can access it. So the query planning, it's a little bit like storage procedures, actually. So the query planning is kind of done ahead of time for you so that um, when, when the query engine comes in, like it can get to it more efficiently. Hmm. And I like this a lot. I've been noodling on this quite a bit. Um, what kind of outcomes do you think? What, yeah, what kind of innovations and outcomes do you think are going to come about because of these table formats? I think the, what we're going for here, um, like table format, is a technology that's enabling it. But I think what we're going for in terms of the need is like a data lake that's more usable, that's more mm. queryable. But what's the problem with data lakes right now? I, like it's hard to access the information in a meaningful way. Like I've I've only I've, I've built a data lake and used it, but only for an ML use case. Like I would never really do a data lake if I was trying to answer you know sixty business questions. Yeah. I would I would go to the warehouse because it's like I'm you know doing the transformations. I'm generating the tables and views that are going to be relevant. So it's like how even like if you if you think back on just denormalized versus normalized data, right? It's the same things. Like what. How queryable? So I, I'm, I'm trying to coin this thing. It's not going to work, but I'm trying <laughs> to coin the term queryability index. It would help if it was easier to say. Um, but basically, the more optimized you get in terms of like how you're storing things, how compact things are historically, the less queryable your data has gotten. Mm. But I think with this lake house and like this uh, table format layer on top of the data, you can sort of bridge that. You can have the it's still parquet files you know, stored, but because you have this layer uh, over top of it, that increases a queryability. Yeah. Can you give, can you give an example of, of if you, example of how the data is and if, how would you access it without that queryable index you were talking about and then with it? Um, like what, what, what would make it, because you have the queryable index makes what faster, better, easier, whatever. Yeah, let me, let me try. <laughs> So with um, so okay, let me let me go back to to the data lake that I had for an ML application, right? Here I would um, I would do like uh, turn vectorize all the all the documents and stuff, and then I would have uh, you know different folders. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. really folders because S three is just you know it's just paths, but you know you can think of it as like folders of data let's say from a certain day and then that's partitioned by like the hour and you know and so on so some like um way of organizing the data that's doesn't have anything to do with the data really like or very little to do with the data so and that's what like the the uh, metadata catalogs um you know without the table format what they do is like they kind of know which folder to open up to get to what data and so on and so forth what the table format does so you still have to like you still know where the data are are and what you would have to open up to get to them. But in addition to that, like uh, like one, one of the cool things in the table format is like you can do merge on read, which is like yeah. instead of going and like copying your data and making changes when when updates happen or overwriting them, God forbid, what you're doing is you're <laughs> you're not changing. Always do that, by the way. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> you're, instead of changing the data, you're just logging the updates that need to happen to it. So when you're when at, in real or in, at query time, um, when the customer or when the first user user is trying to retrieve that data, it it combines and merges both the data and this change log to see what the relevant transformations need to happen to the data to, to get to the current state. So it's it's like I, I almost think of it as like a smart smart layer in between that like preserves the optimization that comes from like having a lake-like infrastructure that you can still access in a like you can you can write queries against it like you can say like you know select this and you know join this depending on what your query engine is mm -hmm. and you can get Get your data. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you have the, the raw data how it is, and you just put a, a, a layer which, which is, I mean, like you say, it's basically a smart layer to understand how you connect and how it can be combined just to improve your optimizations on exactly. how to query things. I mean, at the end of the day, like one of, one of the things that fascinates me in computer science is it's all about abstraction layers, right? So you're yep. just, as a computer scientist, the way I was educated it was like, yeah, you basically figure out what abstraction layer you want to you, you you enjoy. Exactly. Right? People like to go all the way down to the core, core, to the to the bits and everything. And then you get higher, 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 and then to user interfaces and stuff, right? Exactly. And then you are also become a compiler, like, oh, I like to work between these two. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. so I'm comfortable in these two and I'm or and I'm an expert in like the compiling part. So I think yeah. this is always interesting for the data. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing I want to say on, on table formats is uh, this is it's been there. Like, so let's say how, how does Snowflake make your table, right? Like when you do a transformation or, or something like that, there is logic that that's happening uh, to because t a table is not a real manifestation of data, right? It's still in files somewhere. And so, it, you know, it has this set of stored procedures or whatever it may be, its own version of table format that like kind of retrieves the data in this smart way for you. But now that's where the openness comes in. We yeah. have these projects that are sort of almost simultaneously, you know, coming out, have been coming out that um, it's like, let's just break that. Um, let, let's let's bring that out. Let, let, let's make it open so that you can have your data in these optimized file formats, um, but you can still have that logic and, and you know, the metadata management built in. Hmm. I think the other cool thing with the open table formats is <clears throat> it allows you the possibility of, uh, I wouldn't say avoiding vendor lock-in, but having more options for query engines, mm -hmm. which especially in today's uh, um, world is not a bad thing. We were talking about this in the podcast, I can't remember with who, but I think, I feel like one, one scenario is that Snowflake becomes, as you have more uh, iceberg hoodie, Delta Lake and so forth. Mm -hmm. One scenario is everyone just becomes a better query engine mm. and a different type of query engine. And so you just right. pick the query engine that you deserve, I guess, um, or like. <laughs> because it's a little higher level abstraction. Where are you doing all that just to have better query optimizations at the end? Like that is the outcome I want. I want to have very fast queries. And then like, I don't care if it was this. All I care about is like, I got faster and that's what I was looking for. Exactly. Yeah, what was that? I think in, in uh, Rob Martin's clean architecture, I think he was talking about like, um, interface separation concerns or something like that or i can't remember which, which principle it was in, in solid uh maybe it's open closed but either way whatever um but the whole point is like you, you basically any higher level um abstractions don't need to care about the lower level uh you know uh, you know components and so forth and i think that's very much 
you know, where we've always been going and could continue to go. Um, so with storage, it's an interesting one. So I feel like that's been the crux, like getting your data out. Google did an interesting thing like two weeks ago, I think it was, where they got rid of the egress fees if you want to move your data out of Google, which I think was pretty dope. So yeah. hopefully egress fees go the way of the cell phone minutes at some nice. point. Um, I think they're kind of stupid, but it's a lot of money to be made on that. So uh, you're going to keep doing that as long as you can until somebody, I guess, introduces it. The, uh, throws a wrench to the whole prisoner's dilemma problem that everyone has to go do it. But back to the um, the interoperability uh, issue was a very interesting one. So I feel like the world is going to move away from, uh, um, hopefully, I, you know, one scenario is that, that this is actually doesn't work out at all. And, and that open table formats are like a fad and go away or just kind of don't get the traction they need. On the other hand, the other alternative is that they get a lot of traction and then um, companies are forced to compete on other stuff besides storage, which becomes, and it always has been really commoditized. I mean, there's mm -hmm. certain, obviously certain factors are storage where you want that to be really awesome to work with, like, you know, for retrieval, but depending on what you need to do, but that also depends on the query engine. If you study databases, that's kind of how that works. Um, so, um, so yeah, and like, but it's then it becomes a question of like, whose optimizer is going to like give you the best performance for the data that's in that open table format? And I think that's maybe a, an interesting question because now it's a does it become a um, a matter of database optimizers being better? I don't know, um, but it's a it's an interesting thought experiment. I think that's might be where yeah. we're going though. It, it, it's it's hard to tell which of these trends are going to overtake each other, you know, like, cause it, you know, you think about like what different, uh, you know, like vendors like Snowflake and the Databricks and the Microsofts of the world are doing around just like, you know, their data warehouses and improving query optimization and things like that. Virtualization tools, open frameworks, um, versus, AI and what's happening with LLMs and like you know it, it's hard There's to tell. There's happening there, it, it, right? It, it's it's hard. To, like it's a very weird moment in time right now. I feel it's like for data people, so confusing because you know there's you know there, there's interesting things happening with open source. There's interesting things happening in the cloud and with proprietary proprietary technology. But ultimately, we're in this weird moment right now where where things feel relatively stable with the technologies and the approaches that we're used to. And yet there's this big wave here that we see coming and we're like, what is this going to do? Like, what's this going to change for us? Is this a distraction? Are we going to be really, uh, you know, output oriented for the next few years here and figure out that we were spending a lot of time on something stupid or, or are we like at the beginning of a productivity revolution as data people? I think the answer is always yes. <laughs> to all of the, everything you just said. It's great and it's stupid. How many hype cycles have all you been through? Time. I mean, it's always the same. I mean, you, you, of course it's going to have a lot of ridiculousness and a lot of outputs, but like at the end of the day, the stuff, there's a lot of value to, um, you know, large language models and generative AI. And, you know, I mean, I use it all the time. I use it as somebody to talk to because I'm lonely. Oh my and, um, you know, and just. Hello, uh, friend. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I have nothing else going Your on. Your name is life. Bob. <laughs> yep. Uh, or dad. Um, so, yeah, but it's an interesting one. I, but I, I find that it finds, it captures a lot of blind spots in my thinking that I wasn't aware of because it's read a lot more books than I have, um, for one. And so that, that's it's better than a rubber duck. Yeah. yeah. I, have a, I have like four of them on my desk. In fact, I, I posted a picture the other day on my Instagram where it was like, uh, 
Yeah, I was gonna say you got four. There's like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. I got these like rubber duckies of him back at the the shawl. No, I thought you said like you had four different LLMs that you talked to. Well, no, I do that too. Actually, I use Anthropic and I use uh I subscribe to um OpenAI and then I also have Bard. It's interesting comparing the results of all of them. Perplexity is the other one. Oh, I have that on my phone. It's I love Perplexity. I use it all the time. It's dope. It's fun. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Let me ask you this. Can bring it back to open table format? Sorry, but before we go off no. Oh, like, what, what is so you work at Upsolver? Like, why why is Upsolver interested in open table formats? I'm just curious. Like, what's the uh, what's the fascination? Yeah. That's a good question. So, I mean, we've always uh, maybe not always, but like our our product is like a replacement Spark. We have a query execution. We have query planning. Like, every it's sort of everything's built in, and it's always been like the ETL, the transformation comes together with our, our what, what we call SQL lake, like our, our data lake, really a lake house uh, structure. So, and, and that's like, it's been a really strong value prop uh, for our customers. But I think with the advancements, with the creation of these um, open, like uh, other open, t- uh, other table formats that are open in, in the lake house, like we want to basically separate the transformations from the, file formats and table formats, like the, the storage aspects. So again, like this is what we were talking about a little mm-hmm. while ago, right? Like um, we we don't have to have the two combined because you can you can you can you can be modular. You can have this um, you know metadata layer and metadata management layer that just you know is just about organizing your data and you just pick up that box and you move it here. Mm-hmm. And then you know one can also reach the things that you know because we all speak the same language. So like the standardization that comes with this sort of open you know uh, metadata management is like worth more than but wait, know, but isn't the standard here already like something like SQL and that's it? Well, SQL is, it's, there's no like planning in SQL. Well, so this is where I'm like, when I talk about the pendulum swings, right? Uh, like we're just re, we're reinventing a lot of the wheels of just query optimizations that exist very well, that are very well studied in databases. And, and now that I think what happens is that we go to this cloud infrastructure, right? And then we have, we separate storage and compute. So then we're like, well, we got to redo all the work that was, that's been decades done in query optimizations, right? So then it's like, this is, I don't know, I, the honest no BS for me is like, this is a, not an interesting problem because just conceptually it's been solved. Now you now you got to go change, figure out how to adapt it to this thing and that thing. But conceptual is like, I don't think there's new all, uh, optimizations, cost models or stuff that, that needs to be invented for this. But I would be happily proven wrong, please. When, when you say... SQL, right? You're assuming a data in a format, like you're assuming a table essentially, because what you're talking about is, is an entity that actually like a piece of information that, that means something as opposed to being like raw lines in a file, right? So in order to get to that, that I mean, that's what the promise is. Um, and that's what it's harder in a, in a data lake because, you know, it's so, but, so yeah. And I think this goes back to, um, and tied to you is, oh, 
modeling or things like that. I mean, there's some things that like effectively there's like models, there's semantics and stuff everywhere, but we just decide not to pay attention to it. So we're like, well, if I, I want to avoid doing all this modeling things. So I'm going to have to go jump and figure all these hoops to do all these things so that I can optimize queries. But if you did invest in doing all this modeling stuff, you wouldn't have to go do this stuff. It would be, it would, because then. I'm glad we have some spicy takes like an hour into the podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. We're, we're 50 minutes. I'm going to let you guys find it out for a second. I'm going to go grab another beer. You guys want, you, you want another beer? I got, I'm good. Uh, you good? I, I got my already. Yeah, you, know. you good, Sam? Oh, I'm good for uh, now. <laughs> but I will need another soon. Um, I, I want to see what the next hour of this conversation is like. Well, I mean, we um, have no, we don't, we can yeah, keep going. That's huh? true. Well, oh, you got to keep Well, eventually. Uh, but here, I want to, let's do one final question here before we do lightning round okay oh, so do you, you do want to do you want me to answer one? yeah no, 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 no. <laughs> he needs to answer oh yeah, oh, just, oh yeah. Yeah. um there is i agree with you on the swinging of the pendulum metaphor right i think we do do that and i think there is a little bit of that happening so uh in in many ways the lake house is the pendulum Good. swinging back Cheers. towards the warehouse and the database so that's the first thing i'll say i think of the lake house as a combination of the lake databases and data warehouses. Because you also get the other thing you get with these lake houses, which is not just a table format, it's table format plus plus, right? With clever management and the query engine is asset. Well, asset plus you, get, you get quota and structured data as well. That, I think that's what makes it harder. I mean, yeah. That's what makes it different. Yeah. You got a what? Well, I mean, you, you, the lake house architecture too, you know, it, it gives you the, uh, it, it, it moves past like the structured data world or tabular data, I should say, right? So I'm thinking about, when I think about data modeling, and I, I published a post last week in my uh, practical data modeling substack about how I think about data modeling. And I feel like it's it's moved beyond the world of, um, you know, rows and columns at this point. Like, cause you're, you're having like, I mean, this the reality is people are like combining different types of data together now. It's not yeah, just, exactly. you know, it's just, yeah. And one, one model doesn't doesn't serve everything, right? Like as, oh. as you have new use cases and different use cases, like that's another problem with what we think of, or I think, at least maybe I think, <laughs> you can tell me if you think of it differently, but when I think of a data warehouse, it's often like from the old days of an enterprise data warehouse, right? It's basically yeah. meant to be a model of your business. And so you go through and you figure out the entities that are important to you. And it's just so far abstracted from the actual data. Right. Sometimes you have use cases that are somewhere in between. Yeah, that's just it. But I mean, you know, uh, Bill Inman, our good friend, uh, wish he was here. Uh, hope he gets a good recovery uh, soon. But it was, um, you know, the, I think he he's a big proponent of the Lake House. I mean, through God, he's written three, four books on it right now. You know, but I mean, even in the 90s, he had this realization that, you know, the, the amount of structured data in the world that's tabular data was really small compared to all the text data. And this is in the 90s. And it's funny when you talk to him, he, he had the vision of the lake house back then because he's like most corporate data sets even back then versus text data. Right. Stuff people type that's not in the right. table. Right. So that's why he worked in textual ETL for still is working on it. You know, but that, I mean, that was like genius. He laments to me and I'm sure to many other people he talks to, but it's like he actually, for you know, he's, he's left. He left that data warehouse world behind a long time ago, a long time ago yeah. in the early 90s. He's just like, that's yeah. great. The world wasn't ready to move on, though. We <laughs> we, we, still we, we wanted to swim in that for fifty years. <laughs> We're still swimming in it, dude. It's crazy because he's just like he'll, you know, he'll still talk about it, the data warehouse. But he's like he moved on mentally a long time ago. You know, he was he was studying stuff like taxonomies, ontologies, all this stuff that like he was not 
familiar with at mm-hmm. all. Stuff that you'd be awesome at. You'd be awesome at, but it's like him, you know, but that, but the realization is just objectively that is most of the data is all of the well, instructions. It goes back to like, I, I think one pro, the, uh, approach to deal with this is to actually invest in the metadata and the semantics of what this stuff actually means. But, yeah. but that, I think what history has always shown us is that it's always been hard. It's, it's expensive. It's manual. And, and I do generally believe like to bring back a, a little bit of LLMs here is like, this is like some godsend. Like, hey, this thing is actually going to help us to go. Oh, I think it's going to help us shit ton. I mean, it, literally, the, the idea of a transformer as a translate that is yep. like it was literally that's why it was invented by Google as a translate yep. languages, mm-hmm. right? And they did a good job at it. Yep. So, yes, I mean, what what happens when you have concepts that you're trying to translate between different things? It's literally. I saw. You know, it was interesting. Um, uh, I think Jeremy Stanley from Anomalo. We were talking on our podcast, and it was interesting. He brought the idea of like relational embeddings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting concept too, where like applying the relational um, algebra concepts, but to uh, uh, embeddings you'd have in a vector database. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating topic. I don't know what he's done with it since then, but it so, was pretty so, dope. so to bring this back, um, we're nerding out. To, yeah, but no, I do want to bring this back. I mean, to look you. at the audience here. Look at look at who you have. This is this is. <laughs> This we'll is be what happens. Go through our Listeners, lightning you're round. nerds, right? We're all nerds, <laughs> right? I, I do want to take this our <laughs> lightning round Good. question, but uh, there's so much takeaway. Everything we're discussing. So what? <laughs> go back to like we're, this whole thing started about like productivity. We're talking about outcomes. Like so what? That, that's actually part of my question here. Is like so yeah. what, what, like how are you going to justify? It can, be, it can be one table or it can be something else, but like or, or you know open table. Like what's the better future we're trying to get to here? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? What is the outcome mm-hmm. we want to achieve? Is it as data people? <laughs> is it as data people? We feel like things take are too hard, and we want them to be easier. Is that like the outcome we're looking for? Or, Faster, you know? stronger, better, more optimized, cheaper, right? cheaper. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was. Faster, a- stronger, <laughs> I was just thinking of the Iron Triangle and which yeah. one. Which I was thinking about Daft Punk. I was thinking about Daft Punk. That's Yeah, it's, uh, that's it. Yeah, I mean, we're, as, as Joe was saying, like data takes various forms and you can't fit the same box to all kinds of data. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's why we, we have, we're, you know, and again, I, I think of these things as all new because, I mean, maybe it's a few years, but that's still new, right? Like vector databases, graph databases, like different data and like search based, like document based databases and stuff, like different data deserves different treatment because mm-hmm. the storage can be optimized and the query paths can be optimized in different ways. And, you know, we should, and I think we should embrace that. Like, I, I don't think anyone is, loses anything. <laughs> like you want to be grumpy and say, so what? Well, this is a good point because nobody loses anything, but then you're probably leaving something on the table, right? So it's, it goes, tying it back we in some on innovation, right? We could be doing things that we we're not doing that we didn't know that we should. That's a, we're pushing the barrier. And there's always an opportunity cost. But yeah, know, <laughs> coming back to another. Sorry, I, I'll let you go. Oh. Um, coming back to another thing we were talking earlier, like, like if you're an analytics engineer, that's that's a well-defined thing. You don't have to use. Um, I don't know. You don't have to use a vector database. You can right? use CSVs. Yeah. Like no one's no one's forcing it like upon. I'm gonna read that blog post. <laughs> but, but I'm an analytics engineer. I spend most of my time with CSVs. <laughs> I mean that's that's just the reality of 
<laughs> you're saying out loud and everybody what everybody's doing, like, right? Yeah. It's Excel. It's, it's, like, a, it's, a, it's, it's like saying, I use one ply toilet paper at my house. So that's <laughs> all I could afford. Um, so. You're saying it's not something you say out loud? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, thrifty. Uh. We've established that Joe doesn't have any filters. <laughs> Truly don't. Um, yeah, oh. it's, it's an interesting one, but I, I think you know, it, it allows people the opportunity to do things easier. I mean, but that's, I guess the, so it, I would say all this stuff is an enabler. And so in that sense, there's not much downside. It enables you to do better things, but it, it's what I've been writing about for a long time and screaming at the sky about is that, um, you know, we have all these wonderful tools and, and you know, but I, I think the big crux, at least to me, is that we don't have either the knowledge and the skills to use them to the fullest potential to execute on the outcomes that are desirable to a business. And part of that, I think, is like, and you'll hear about this in day-to-day Texas. It's, it's about how do you how do you get a practitioner to focus on outcomes that matter, mm-hmm. right? I don't think we have, again, I don't believe that we have at least to solve classical analytics problems, especially, which we're still struggling with for some reason. Again, back to the old, you know, the 10 years of waste of time, which I do believe we did. Um, why is it we're still talking about the same stuff? Why is it that most companies are, are still struggling with BI, let alone doing AI? Why is it that, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, most people are using CSVs for, for stuff, right? We had, I had Dave Langer on my, on my show the other day about Excel. Why is it that Excel is still by far the most widely used data stack in the world. Now it has Python, right? That is a data stack. Hmm? Everyone uses yeah. it, not Python more, but they use Excel all the time. It's like, <laughs> the whole point is, it's like this- They achieve a, an outcome. This is all they, that matters. And Excel, it, it, so I, I would I say- needed that the a world fancy is, calculator. <laughs> the world, if you divided it into like, a, basically a bar chart, or a pie chart, however, and look at it in Excel or donut chart, if you want to do that. Um, the, the whole point is like, for all the Excel out there, that's missed opportunity that quote data tooling companies should focus on because that means that's a workaround to answering a question and getting an outcome that uh, tooling and the practitioners in quote our data space haven't been able to provide to those practitioners. That's one thesis I have. You I know. think that's really interesting because I, you know, for all the amount of time that, you know, going back to output versus outcomes, right, that we spend as data people on building out data infrastructure and things like that. You know what? The sales team is still crunching their reports in CSVs and with Excel. That's sad reality of it. I mean, I kind of just want to go, I don't know, go work on a ranch or something. (laughs) (laughs) We're watching the next pendulum swinging over here and then let's see what's going to happen. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting one, but you know, I mean, but it's like you know, at the same time, there's a lot of innovation. But what I, I think what's going to be harder is if you're a legacy or a mature company that hasn't embraced data or, or digital stuff, right? I mean, it's easy if you start from scratch. It's like this is day one stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you're seeing all the all the cool blog posts you see are from the companies that had to do this because they're digital or na- data native, like and I think like the stuff we're talking about, like open like right? table formats, is comes from folk companies who are like yeah. very digital first and stuff. And these are the paint that they're, they're heading oh, yeah. into. But then you see like other companies who aren't and they're trying to get up and they're like fall into that. And they're like, they think that that's the coolest thing. They want to go try to explain that to your, to your executives who are not the, 
very digital first. Oh no, I was just talking to a friend of mine. She she'll be speaking at Data Day Texas, and you know she's one of those I would say accomplished you know uh, data executives in the world. And she was lamenting that yeah, it's it's one of those things where if you're a mature company, um, a lot of it's driven by gut feel. Still, mm -hmm. right? And it's like we just it's all up here. That's it. What do I need this stuff for? So all right, well let let's head into our, our lightning room because we still got more to go. We got so much more, more, like more questions. Long podcast well, this is the or, officially uh, the longest <laughs> podcast now that we've done. So <laughs> we can yeah. keep going if yeah, you like. Yeah. Um, oh, because I know this is gonna take a while here too. And then and, and actually <laughs> I have to go back to do some stuff quickly. So hold on. All right, lightning round questions. Number one. So should everyone be thinking about outcomes, or is it okay for some people to focus on outputs? I think Joe brought up a good point. Like, uh, there is a lot of work that is just, in some sense, rote, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and you don't always have to get fulfillment from your work. I mean, <laughs> ideally, most of us don't get fulfillment just from our work. And so it, I think it's fine if, like, yeah, go work at a ranch, and maybe that's, like, perfect. And, you know, that's what you get fulfillment out of. Or, and on the side, you're reading, you know, Kafka, but real Kafka, not are we like go, going is joe answering the same yeah. questions Sorry, I'm, I'm writing this right read kafka but the real kafka franz kafka franz kafka yeah, metamorphosis is a good book oh man it's another t-shirt um, oh is there so many good t-shirts all right second question uh instead of yes no it's actually going to be a quick answer question so uh what is the biggest underappreciated performance hack for data people? Not having dogs aren't gone a while. Biggest underappreciated performance hacks for data people. Um, a quick uh, visualization. Uh, I, I don't want to say tool. So for me, it's you know like if it's if it's tabular, you load it into a pandas data frame and then you know column dot hist. Like that, that's mm -hmm. it, right? Like, I just want to see the data. Yeah, and, you know, I don't want to have to pull it into some fancy BI tool or something. I mean, Excel is not for me. It's it's hard for me. So I, I don't want to do it there. So now spin up a Jupyter notebook, do a dot hist. Quick, quick business notebook. Yeah. I would say listening. Hmm. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard of it. What did you say? Listening. But no, I mean, it, but it, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, it, it's, and I'm actually going through this in, in a course I'm making right now, but one of the big things I'm trying to emphasize in, is real world skills, right? It's so like going and talking to stakeholders and asking them, okay, so like, what is it you're trying to do? And diving into why are you trying to do that? Oh um, my gosh, this is like the best. The first thing is like, you're trying to ask, first, what is the problem you're trying to go solve? I mean, what is the question you're trying to ask? Yeah. Who's asking that question? Bingo. And why are they asking that question? Yep. Yeah. What does good look like? What is the end? So it was funny. I was, I was actually meeting with a client today and, and I, you know, and he's like, so we want to ask me, I'm like, I got two questions for you. What, what do you think is going well? You know, and, you know, what, what, what do you think could go better? Right. That's it. That's it. And by asking open-ended questions like that and listening to them, open-ended question is meaning you don't get to a yes or no type answer either. It's like, hey, do you like cheese? Yes. No. No. I mean, this is what you should be very Socratic about it. Yeah. So. I mean, it's like, no. it's because it, yeah, let people. So I think that's an underrated skill. But 
you know. All right. So, so next one. So I'm going to follow with the with instead of a yes or no here. So we've talked a lot about the open table, the formats and stuff. There's a lot to unpack. What's the best way recommendation for people to get up to speed quickly on this? Um, there's a lot of good, uh, good amount of blog posts out there that sort of just, just any, any, anyone in particular, like, or people so you should go because again, the issue is that there's a lot out there too. Yeah, this, this is true. Um, so, uh, Ryan blue of, of tabular, uh, he's, he was part of the team that built, uh, iceberg in the first place out of Netflix. Um, he, I, I, I've read a lot of his uh, material around iceberg. That's helpful. Uh, we are trying to, so if you go to the Absolver blog, the last, you know, three or four have been around iceberg as well. We're trying to like really put out content that's just meant to educate, cool. um, you know, how it works. And I mean, same exists for, I, I don't want to leave out anyone. Same exists for like hoodie and stuff like just, yeah, but also, uh, um, I got a question for you. Was CSV the first open table format? No. <laughs> okay. Okay, yes. I'll give you that one. 100%. I'm just like, huh. Uh, but, okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> All right. Take it away. Last question. Both of you might actually be interested in this one. Probably um, not. <laughs> Imagine that different, uh, imagine different data roles, right? Mm -hmm. And this whole spectrum of output versus outcomes. Mm -hmm. Are data engineers the role that is the most out of whack on this spectrum? So I, okay, I, I'm gonna contradict myself from something I said earlier in the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've always had this contradiction within me. <laughs> I like to do everything. Um, like I like each each part of the stack, the pipeline, the process, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, regardless of, of title or whatever, I really enjoy doing the data engineering and, and the modeling and, and all of that. So, um, I mean, I'm not gonna disown like any one role mm. being, being out of whack or anything. I think that, um, there's this, I see a lot of memes around, you know, data engineers holding back a train that's coming in the data scientist is helpless down. I think that's way overblown. Um, yes, thank you for calling that out. The whole, is there here is this big ship and I'm on this little thing trying to get like, come on. It's like data engineer hero worship kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. I think where it comes from is like, clearly you can't work with data if you don't know how to get it, right? And that's mm -hmm. something that companies and, and I mean, teams get stuck on. Like they, they, want, they want the data function, but it's like, where do I begin, mm -hmm. right? And, and what are the tools? And so like in, in that sense, yes, you need to be able to bring that in, but that doesn't have to be like this, yeah. So what do you mean by out of whack? Like- um, Or are they whack? Like, are you saying like- <clears throat> let's, put it, let's, put it, let's put it this way. <laughs> So imagine there's like time in the day and you're spending 40 hours a week working. Um, like are data engineers spending more time than other data roles on stuff that's not really making an impact? I could say that it's probably the case for a lot of data roles. Um, so I wrote an article about this called uh, uh, Data LARPs. So LARPs are live action role playing. You might, in the summer, you may go through your uh, local city park and see people dress up as knights mm. playing swords um, and that kind of stuff, right? And I feel like that's, I'm actually writing this about this right now. This will be an article that's on my sub stack, uh, hopefully tomorrow or whatever. Yeah, you publish it, but <laughs> it's it's a notion of Potemkin data team. So, so there's the Potemkin was somebody in Russia who was dating Catherine the Great, I believe, uh, or Catherine the Dead, I guess right now, um, but, <laughs> But Potemkin, so he, to impress her with how grand her land was in Russia, she, he would actually make fake towns 
and she would like you know he would corral it you know carry her through it in the carriage and you know there's people like working mm-hmm. but behind it it's a, it's a complete facade there's nothing there right and so i think but this is a lot of data teams i would say in general irrespective of data and i'll get into the specifics of your nuance of the question that you just uh, asked but there's mm-hmm. but I, th- I feel like a lot of data teams in general are sort of larping and or in a potemkin situation where they're actually doing a lot of um sort of what you described uh earlier where we're moving boxes you know back and forth and counting them and all this empty um uh, stuff and it, the outcomes aren't there right mm-hmm. so i feel like data engineers it's less about the role and more about the situation the team is in well if you if you kind of zoom out and understand where the entirety of a data team is, it wouldn't really matter what role you're in if the entire objective of the team is to do useless stuff or useful <laughs> stuff. So right. I, I feel like the the notion that it would be specific to data engineers, um, that, that we talked about abstractions as well in the discussion, right? Juan brought up computer science abstractions, and really you can apply the same principles of solid actually to to data teams um, in the sense where it, it, it should be. Like a, a single, um, uh, you know, what is it? Single responsibility principle, some, something like that, right? But that, that these these same principles actually apply to teams in the sense where, like, you should be um, working on things that matter. There should, you know, you should have like stakeholders that are directly um, applicable to uh, outcomes. And often this doesn't happen. And so it's, um, and if you if you zoom out even further, right? Uh, this is all this happens because of Conway's law. Conway's law basically says you'll you'll design systems and architectures that uh, mimic how you communicate as a company. And so the inescapable um, law of the universe is as long as your company um, is uh, dysfunctional, um, nothing will save you or the team uh, because it's a transitive property at that point. So yeah, anyway, that's my answer. Hmm. I like that. that. That makes sense. Kind of. I don't know what I just said. But, um, <laughs> I'm like rain manifestation. It's like, um, it all came out. Yeah. I'll, I'll make one quick little hot take, and then and then we can we can move into takeaways, which is that um, I, I feel like um, the answer to the question that I asked is yes, but it's also not fair because data engineers, I feel like the time to get to the next iteration is a lot slower than. A data scientist and a lot and, and then even slower still than a a lot of data analysts because i think there's a very fast turnaround time to like any report on blah it's like boom here, interesting here's your why, why would the, why would those cadences be separate yeah exactly exactly and this is the, i feel like they often are though i mean they, maybe they, they shouldn't are. be they, they shouldn't yeah well yeah. They, they are but but that speaks to the nature of people probably working around bottlenecks of data of the data engineer yeah absolutely yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And that bottleneck is especially problematic if uh, if they're working on the wrong thing, because then yeah. the tent pole gets even longer. Yeah. <sighs> Understanding the outcomes. Don't, and, don't talk uh, to me like that. No, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, All right, Tim. All right. So wait, takeaways. How are, how are we going to do with this? Uh, all right, how much time do we have? I think we can do this in 30 minutes, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right, takeaways. 30 days. Takeaways. Um, all right, um, so we started off with the honest no BS question of what do you mean by productivity is not performance? Mm-hmm. And we, we really focused on, <laughs> yes, that is where we started. Uh, and there we started with like, you know, there's a big difference between outcomes and outputs, and you can do a lot without doing a lot, 
which I think is a it's a, probably the biggest takeaway that I think we can think about as we go through all of this um, is there's a lot of work you could do without actually making an impact. And so, for example, uh, a very complex infrastructure to solve a simple problem. Right. Um, we talked about roles um, and the distinction between companies and data people at companies where maybe data is the core of what that company does versus, you know, maybe more descriptive analytics and things like that in support of the core business being something else. Um, and the way that data works there and what output and what outcomes is going to mean is going to be different. And so think about kind of which organization are you in? Are you in more the data is the core or, you know, data is supporting? Uh, we also talked about... Um, you know, data analysts, they aren't just some awkward person behind Excel, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> data analysts, we love you. Um, uh, but that analytics engineer is actually uh, maybe a better title because it kind of, it talks more about the nature of the work that these people are doing to try to make an impact. And so I thought that was interesting. We spent a good chunk of time talking about innovation too, and everyone should be innovating, but it adds a little bit of complexity to the whole outputs and outcomes conversation. Data teams have the opportunity to do the innovation, but you got to know what you're doing. Remember your outcomes Innovation can be a byproduct of outcome-driven work. And I think that's important that innovation isn't a distraction if done right. It can actually be in the service of the outcomes that you're trying to drive as an organization. When there's a need that surfaces everywhere, a bunch of people jump on the idea, but there often isn't um, enough scrutiny around the actual need itself and if it's if it's actually the important thing to focus on so we spent a good chunk of time for those who are listening and want to if you're just listening to the takeaways episode you want to listen to an interesting segment um we talked a lot about snowflake and bi tools and kind of the state of the space and, and sort of the dynamics there so that's a very interesting segment you should check out juan what about you what are your big oh, takeaways i think this is a t-shirt one if, if you replace dags with children how do you feel so I mean, models, yeah. <laughs> yeah, models, yeah, models. That's never mind. Yeah, no, because we were talking about this, like, and I think like we're like, oh, uh, yeah, you have hundreds and hundreds of DBT models. All these things you've done, like, is that DBT impressive, models, not, or so forth, that. right? But again, I bring bring this up because you tie it back to like the output versus the outcomes, which I think this is this is the this is the theme throughout mm -hmm. outcomes or outputs versus outcomes. About, mm -hmm. It's always about this. And so we also talked a lot about how do we focus on the principles behind the data architecture for better better outcomes. And one of them is like, hey, maybe it's like the principles of business value is at the center of everything. And it, we really dove into a lot of the whole open table formats, uh, right? So talking about from data warehouses to data lakes uh, and, and really how, how it's a specification of how files and information need to be organized. So query planning can be done ahead of time. And you have this, what you call this queryable index, right? So it's like that smart layer that preserves the optimization. But it's really interesting how we got into this really technical discussion. But if we zoom out again, it's like, well, outputs versus outcomes around this stuff. Um, is this a fad or not, right? Maybe no one cares about this stuff, but may maybe it is a competitive advantage, right? Or it is a competitive advantage, but to what point? Because at the end of the day, people just want a better query optimizer. So how is that going to go? Are people going to care about that? The, out the outcome here, as I, I, like, I asked you, is like, what is the outcome? You said faster, stronger, better, and cheaper. And you know what? That's actually something that I, that, as simple as it is, but that's actually so true around that. And finally thing is LLMs. I use it all the time. For someone to talk to. <laughs> All right. How we, do we, we do? Kafka, but the real one. That's a oh, that's another one. It's in there. Yeah. All right. Go team. Uh, 
take it away. Three final questions. What's your advice? Who should we invite next? What resources do you follow? Um, be yourself. Do the thing that you enjoy most. Be curious. <laughs> um, yeah, scrutinize the ask. Uh, don't 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 get lost in trying to implement what's being asked first. The first thing to do is figure out if the person who's asking knows what they're asking for and why they mm -hmm. think they they need the thing that they're asking for. Um, who should you invite? I'm sure you've had every awesome person on here. Um, Actually, I got one for you. Yeah. Hmm? John Giles. John Giles. All right. From Australia. G. Australia. All right. Cool. That's a good one. I, I was going to say um, Hala Nelson. I'm excited. Hala would be awesome. Yeah. You could probably do it in person. She's going to be here, right? Yeah, she's going to be here for day-to-day yeah. -day Texas. She's amazing. And then what about resources to follow? Um, so I nowadays I just read as I'm searching something. Like I go down rabbit holes and, and, and then read everything on, on a topic. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, you seem like the kind of person. That. <laughs> so it's less about, you know, I have these five subscriptions that I'll, I'll go through and read. I, I, don't, I don't do that. It's more like where, where it takes me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So I, you know, Joe's standing next to me. So read Joe's book. <laughs> and my next I heard one, you have a pretty good book. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Some people read it and stuff. I yeah, I already know what I want to revise in it. But there's a practical daily modeling that Substack. I'll give a shameless plug for the new book I'm working on. It's going to be a lot of it's on there already, or not on there already, but it will be on there. Um, other resources. Uh, I always read the information. It's a paid um, site, but it's got, I think, probably the best tech journalism there is. Uh, so it's worth checking out. And read books. Books are awesome. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I do. I don't want to. Let me ask you, what, yeah, what books. books are you into right now? Mm -hmm. um, right now, I've been slow reading a book on um, how the, the basically the history of the Ottoman Empire. Oh, mm. really? That's, <laughs> that's, that's cool. Um, why, why, would you, why would you read that? I just it, it had a really cool graphic on it. Okay. Um, and, and when I was <laughs> this is like, a, like a newer book or yeah, no, it's it's an older book. It's okay. it's a physical book that I was browsing through a bookstore and I really just I was very attracted by how it looked and then I opened it and oh yeah, Ottoman. I don't I don't know that much about Ottoman history. So. Mm -hmm. um, Wait, it isn't like a bunch of like like horses with people on top of the horses going. Is it is that one? That is uh, the very, very Spark Notes version, I guess. Oh, I guess I think I have the same book at my house. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. oh the graphic. You yeah, know. I, thought, I thought you were describing the Ottoman. No, no, that was not the order. That could have been any empire um, <laughs> until recently. Uh, talking like until the 1600s um, or 1700s. Um, no, that was not what I was referring to. If you both have this book, then it must be pretty important. It might be, it might be something I got to check out too. I can't remember. I have to go back to my library look i got like I think a thousand books at home and then probably eight, another two thousand on kindle but i don't know i read a lot that's kind of all i do yeah but i'm a dork so oh, reading's good and i think it's nice it's to terrible for you don't read don't, don't. <laughs> you it's should read all your time you don't get everybody needs done. to read <laughs> um it's actually good to read stuff that's not always the same you know like yeah. I find myself sometimes reading too much yeah like data what? books and business books and you know sometimes yeah. it's like it all right yep. that's enough Let's go read about the Ottoman Empire and but, uh, for, for, something different. Exactly. That's but kind of for, a business book, though. <laughs> yes. How, how, how to run an efficient empire. How to make the people that you're, like, ruling over not hate you. That, that's basically the story of the Ottomans. I mean, yeah. It's a business a, book. 
it's a good lesson yeah yeah lasted for at least uh, a few hundred years at least right several hundred years yeah (laughs) more successfully than anything before or after pretty much that's true um one thing i've been dying to say is i I do like uh, if if folks are listening um this is conversation that are sort of like earlier or newer to data science and like looking for actually like what to read and what skills to pick up on Mm -hmm. i i I try to say this um statistics is is still an important part of of data work and it's really Mm -hmm. hard to find good that was a a pun um oh if you have to explain your pun (laughs) (laughs) um it'll make sense in a second um Yeah. Uh, so, and it's not it's not really easy to find good literature on statistics. Oh, in, bad. Yeah, mm. especially in like data science books, if you know what I mean, like mm-hmm. stuff that's you know sort of coming come out as the hype over data character years went out. So you know, like I learned my statistics from physics books, like yeah. classical dynamics. Or, or oh, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not advising <laughs> that, but yeah, find a good. Oh no, stats. Are, I would say that that's just a good rubric for how to think about the world. To that and probability, yeah. right? So I think if you if you have two, two sides of the same coin. Two sides. Do, do you guys know about uh, there's, 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 there's a pun there and i was like okay you set that up that's great i uh, go with it do you guys know of a good stats book like that, that you read and you're like wow that was, the, that was... so the one i, I cut my yeah. teeth on was um by sheldon sheldon ross's books but these are pretty sheldon old ross, now, yeah. but so am i um <laughs> so, but he had um was intro to probability then probability models or something like that and those are good and then stats um there's like a stats books out there. I I I can't remember which one I, I cut my teeth on. I, I have a lot of them, but I, I you know, but they're mathy. Yeah. I don't think you should learn the mathy stuff because this is like you got to realize a lot of this is like you're not using calculators or spreadsheets. You're just doing proofs, mm-hmm. which is different than like prove the central limit theorem. It's like cool, I'll do that. Um, that's not how to learn stats, at least for most people. You'd, yeah. Yeah, you'd recommend there a more a practical approach. Matt Huxley yeah. and I were chatting about this like a year ago. Is there is a, a an open need, I think, for a good statistics for business book? Yeah, Josh Starmer, I think he's got some of the best YouTube videos. Like Josh was a, um, he worked in biology or biostatics. Is it Josh Stormer? Starmer. Starmer, not Stormer, with an A. But he, He's got millions of YouTube subscribers to his videos. He does this thing called Stats Quest. I think that's pretty awesome too. Um, he started by making videos for his like nine people in his lab and put them on YouTube. Hmm. No, he started off doing labs in person. And he's like, I'm going to put this on YouTube. And then for nine people. And then his videos took off. Yeah. Right? Because he's a, he's a really good uh, instructor. Like Josh is like, he's, he's just like a gentle human being. Like, great guy and a great teacher and then like i would say look at youtube too books i think are actually like are kind of terrible to learn from um <laughs> khan academy actually i think has like a really good uh elementary stats oh, that's true um, yeah khan academy has you know because i mean I, I have my kids doing khan academy all the time it's like i would start there i would actually would avoid reading books for stats because i think mm-hmm. to your point most of it's pretty crap but if and the other part is you want to in math in general, as you know, you want to keep doing problems and solving them. That's how you get the intuition of how to solve problems. And yeah. like in a book, it's hard because you just be like, okay, I go with the exercises. You you give me like half the answers of the odd problems in the back. Mm-hmm. It's dumb. I have to go with the study guide for the rest of it, which is not a 
thousand dollars right. or whatever it costs right. these days yeah. and if you don't have the structure of actually like going to class and you know in, like you do in college you're not gonna yeah no, dude it's so much <laughs> I mean, Khan academy is dope because they, they gamify it like my kids i have them do Khan academy every day because i'm like you know badges and completions and stuff like that do we need a disclaimer <laughs> no I, I don't work for them um, <laughs> but but no but, but the kids there's a dopamine effect with it where it's like they want to keep going like my kid you know one of my one of my younger kids he's he's you know, he's, he's good, um, but he's getting better. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say something more positive there. <laughs> well, I mean, he knows. Uh, but, I, but, I kinda, like, but when he does Khan Academy, he's, he's, he's stoked. He just wants yeah. to keep going. I'm like, can we go do something else? Now? I want to keep important. going. Yeah. And that's how you learn. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Just just keep pushing. Like This, this resonates with me a lot because uh, actually when we started talking about stats books, I can't think of really great stats books. And the only thing I can always come back to is I had a, an amazing uh, high school uh, statistics AP teacher who just was fantastic. He made it fun. He made statistics yep. fun. Right. And Same like with me and that, that probably yeah, put me on my it. data trajectory. Right. And so it's uh, maybe maybe stats is just one of those things where, I mean, yeah, you can read a book and there's there's books out there that I'm sure that are good. But if you can find a course, a video, Amen. something like that, then it's going to be more fun and, and easier to learn. Well, math is like poorly taught, dude. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean it's like, okay, did, when you were in elementary school, did you feel like you got a really good math education? So I went to school in Bangladesh, and yes, I did. Okay. You did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. When yeah. I, no, it's it, yeah. anecdote. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. When I came here for college, it became very evident to me, like, the education that I had received and the structure, the way that it was yeah. happening is so different. So different. Yeah. No, the U.S. sucks. I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna say, like the, the the way we teach math, Common Core. I'm even more confused. Mm -hmm. See, I help my kids with homework. I have no idea like how this way of teaching it makes any sense. But it is what teachers, you know, they they. I, I went to you know one teacher. We went to parent teacher conferences and reviews, and I felt like I was at a therapy session because the teacher's <laughs> like, I just can't teach the way I want to teach. And I'm like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's tough right now. Um, so you got to take it matters. There's a lot of good resources online. Khan's awesome. Yeah. Like Sal Khan, I think deserves a Nobel Prize. Um, you know, for everything he's done, he's. You guys still don't work for him, right? I don't work for him. No. <laughs> I literally don't. No, I'm just saying, like. No, they actually have, they have really good resources. good resources. Yeah. 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 Well, how did we do, guys? Was this good? I don't know what's so the what was the outputs and what the outcomes. Yeah, we, I don't we, know. Uh, I think I think we I think we just produced a lot of really good tidbits. So sure did. Shantana, Joe, thank you. This was thank fun. You. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate you joining too. Yeah. 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 I don't know where he went, but <laughs> I think he had to duck out for a, a second here. So yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Joe. Cheers, Cheers everyone. Appreciate Bye -bye. you joining us today. Hey, next week, Jessica Talisman is going to join us um, from Without Information She's Architecture. Awesome. Uh, and uh, thank you to Data.World that lets us do this. We get to drink and hang out and talk data and then go to Data uh, Data Texas. So, Yeah, see you at Data Data Texas. It's going to be awesome. Yep. Yeah. Cheers, y'all. Thank you. Bye.